Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of FFS Another Brexit Podcast. I'm Jason Arthur. And I'm Abby Tomlinson. Welcome back. Thank you. You've been around the world. I know. <laughs> and now I'm back. So. Yeah. Great to have you back. Um, so we're here to give you all of the latest developments, thoughts and feelings on the increasingly nerve-wracking Brexit debate. But not as you know it. As regular listeners know, our campaign is different and this podcast strives to be too. So week on week, we've been bringing you new, interesting and diverse voices and perspectives and this time, guess what? It's no different. <laughs> to try and see through some of the noise of recent weeks, we've got budding journalist Ben Gartside with us to give us his analysis on the latest on Brexit. So what a week. We have had an extremely busy week here at FFS in the People's Vote campaign. Well, we have. You've been gallivanting. Yeah, <laughs> I've had a very relaxing week. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, what, did, what did we do? Well, last week, FFS joined forces with Our Future, Our Choice. And we took a group of young people to meet with Tom Watson and Joe Swinson to talk about getting more young people engaged in democracy and to ask leading politicians why they can't just work together to stop no deal. It was good. I did hear it was an extremely productive session. I'm glad at least some politicians are listening. So uh, Boris Johnson, if you want to meet, we have lots of young people with things to say to you. Yeah, lots of things to say to you. <laughs> but yeah, it was good. It was good. And it was refreshing to hear politicians being prepared to say they put down party allegiances for the greater good of the country. I'm not sure whether uh, anyone's going to listen to them. <laughs> sadly uh but at least that joe and tom thank you for saying that uh and then more broadly the people's vote campaign we made the headlines uh this week last week rather for the launch of our farmers for a people's vote campaign which kicked off with a rather unusual stunt i didn't think when i uh, joined ffs i'd be part of a campaign that was involved with herding a flock of sheep down Whitehall, but there you go. Yeah, no, it's it's odd. <laughs> but, but is it the oddest thing that's happened in the Brexit world? Probably not. That is true. And um, we should point out that no sheep have been harmed in the campaigns for a people's vote. They had a lovely day out in central London. Lovely. Yeah, yeah, it was it was great for them. <laughs> so this week we also had the leaking of a cross-government study on the impact of No Deal. Uh, called Operation Yellowhammer. I'm always, just as an aside, interested in how they name these reports. Yeah. What does Yellowhammer mean? I've never seen a, ye a Yellowhammer, so I don't really understand where they would have got it from. It, yeah, it's nonsense. But despite having a nonsensical title, it had some pretty scary revelations, um, which Ben is going to help us dive into later. But safe to say, no deal, Abby. <laughs> isn't good no it's, it's not looking great <laughs> no 
No. So onwards, FFS. Over the next seven days, FFS is all over the place. We start our summer tour in Bristol on Thursday and then head all the way up to Edinburgh on Friday. Yeah, I don't think anyone can say that we are a London-centric campaign or that we're being complacent. Absolutely not. Unless, good news, while we're traveling the country trying to inspire and motivate young people, Boris Johnson is heading to Europe to meet with world leaders, where he is bound to have the exact opposite effect. Indeed. And the thought of him representing us on the world stage as prime minister is like literally a nightmare come true. He's offended pretty much everyone in Europe already, but I still bet he'll manage to alienate some more. Yep. Uh, And after asking aides whether... Angela Merkel was in the East German secret police and calling Macron a jumped up Napoleon. I'm sure his meetings with him are bound to go swimmingly well. Fun times ahead. And lastly, we also have the Big Ten Ideas Festival next week. Our very own Amanda and Izzy will be taking part in a session on future leaders. Tickets are £15 for students and are available at bigtent.org.uk. So make sure you get yours and take part. Yeah, do go to that. I am offended though, because I am also speaking <laughs> this week at the Byline Festival. Oh, I'm on sorry. Sunday. I'm sorry, Jason. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts good news ad free listening is available on amazon music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your prime membership Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This week, we're very excited to have with us journalist Ben Gartside. He's going to help us unpack the recent goings on. So thank you so much for joining us, Ben. No problem. First things first, we always ask our guests who they would give an FFS award to for something ridiculous in the context of Brexit. So who is your award winner? Uh, I think we've got to go today with the letter Boris Johnson has sent to Donald Tusk, where he's essentially asked for the backstop to be removed, uh, which is Mm. very 2016. Um, (laughs) And it's comprehensively been rejected by the EU, of course. So I think if you're giving an award to kind of the weirdest thing said about Brexit this week, it's got to go to him. Yeah, and he, he must obviously know that it's going to be rejected, right? So what do you think the game... What's the game plan here? I think the game is a two-sided game of chicken in terms of both to get MPs to kind of back the deal and to get the EU to move, kind of give some uh, movement on the backstop. A while ago, kind of there were rumours that the the middle ground deal that the EU were looking at was kind of the backstop with a side codicil or kind of a, a side amendment, which would have kind of uh, codified uh, alternative arrangements and put the onus on them to kind of look into them and look into making sure that certain technologies are done by a certain date in order to make it seem like it was a two-sided mm. arrangement. But 
given Johnson's recent uh, rhetoric on the matter and the people appointed to cabinet, it seems increasingly unlikely that that will be a place uh, where a deal can be done. Yeah, no no backstoppers accepted. Yeah. Right? yeah, no, it seems very unlikely that a backstop will be accepted by the cabinet. I mean, weirder things have happened. It's worth saying, obviously, that Johnson did vote for a backstop in meaningful vote free, as did a handful of the other hard Brexiteers in the cabinet. Yeah. But yeah, it, we'll, we'll see how things go. Yeah, I think uh, looking to either his statements or voting record in any issue is probably not going to be enlightening on yeah, you've what got, Boris thinks or will do now. No, you've, you've got the weird thing of of saying, well, oh, he's he's backtracked on a, a lot of things previously and it's just how, how far is he willing to backtrack, especially given the very, very strong rhetoric he's had mm. on the issue. But one thing that could be interesting is a withdrawal agreement, I think, would have a lot more Labour support given their kind of move towards people's vote. Of, there's been rumours of Stephen Kinnock and uh, Lisa Nandy and a few other MPs setting up a group of uh, on the large side 40, on the small side 20 MPs who are willing to vote for a withdrawal agreement. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see whether any of them actually go through the lobbies to vote for it or how strong their support is or when if there is actually a vote on this government of national unity would they back a moderate pro-eu labor mp like hillary benn or is this more rhetoric without any action in order to prevent no deal from nominally anti-no deal mps yeah yeah. Yeah. i I suspect more of the latter than (laughs) something substantive so ben a lot of people might have heard about in the news this week but won't really know what it means so could you try and explain for us what operation Yellowhammer is and why it's important so it's whitehall's secret plan for no deal and it's been buzzing around in the news for the past like six months and there's been a lot of rumors about what's in it and the sunday times has got a big report comprehensively covering it which cover like things from civil unrest and what's going to happen in northern ireland to everyday things like food and petrol and uh, according to the report the type of fresh food supply will be uh, will decrease uh, traffic could be caused by board delays could affect fuel distribution issues of kind of medicine we've heard a lot about insulin and matt hancock talking about fridges on the main kind so of, so all stuff that wasn't on a big red bus no no in, kind uh, of stuff that yeah stuff that you do not normally worry about in terms of <laughs> any typical government idea And it's been disputed by uh, Michael Gove publicly and a couple of prominent Brexiteers are saying, oh, this is an ancient report done by old junior ministers. I think it was Paul Brand at ITV said, actually, this is dated the 1st of August. Um, (laughs) Kind of updated ones are sent to uh, devolved administrations whenever they're updated. And this fits with the most recent copies. So... There's kind of some rumours about whether this is the most extreme version or the expected outcome uh that's disputed it seems to be more likely the expected outcome than anything else but uh the amount of preparation is still kind of not what it would ideally be or yeah what you'd expect and so there there are two interesting things here for me about this Mm. one is trying to play the report as this remainer stitch up when it was written by the civil service (laughs) and that is outdated when it was three weeks ago and it was released. But then secondly, given that it's almost impossible to see how we will be uh, in a better state in 70 odd days, so that we won't be fully prepared to deal with these consequences, 
why they aren't just fronting it now and being honest about the impact of it, given that if no deal does happen and what, you know, Yellowhammer says happens, then they're going to be the ones who are going to have to deal with the consequences of it, right? Uh, politically Definitely. and also in terms of the chaos Definitely. in the UK. Because um, we were talking off air about kind of the reality of no deal. And one thing that could be a, a big issue is Perda. So obviously mm. there's been a vote of no confidence, uh, rumoured a lot and kind of looks like one will happen. Corbyn said one will happen in his speech that uh, was yesterday at the time of talking. And if that does happen, no deal happens. And you either have no deal by default, where we leave on October 31st after a vote of no confidence, or we have a vonk happening after October 31st. Perda, which is the thing that stops the government using its powers in order to make itself benefit during an election, could have a seriously detrimental effect on very simple things that we normally take for granted. For example, would government contracts be able to be signed mm. during Perda under No Deal? Because I think it's uh, Faisal Islam of the BBC had a good report out recently, which said that the potential hurt from No Deal won't be day one, day two. It won't be the first or second of November. It'll be two or three weeks after. It'll be when once the supply chains are properly yeah. hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once it's no longer the government being able to kind of shepherd and drive things through. If we're in a state of perda, then there is obviously even more skepticism about what could happen. Governments can't sign contracts. They can't, I don't believe, make ministerial statements. Um, so you've got potentially a exacerbating thing yeah. that could keep the government in just simply <laughs> because by voting no confidence, there is, if you are, for example, in a, uh, in a port city or a port constituency or kind of a Northern Irish constituency, it's very hard to justifiably vote through a vote of no confidence when you know in the short to medium term that could have a seriously detrimental effect. So just to the point where everything is going absolutely bonkers, that's when the government yeah. would have hamstrung itself if there is powder. Yes, yes. Yeah, so that sounds ideal. It, yeah, <laughs> it's it's not it's not the best. And it's a indicatory of the issue of kind of the anti-no deal MPs in terms of you've got quite a lot of them who are unwilling to vote. Uh, for a people's vote. Uh, there are quite a lot of them who are unwilling to vote for May's deal uh, or any alternatives. And you've got the complete lack of compromise that has happened has meant that there are three or four options with 250 votes when they need uh, 320. And what this has meant is that every time they vote against one of these compromises that aren't quite what people wanted, it means that kind of it is effectively a vote for no deal. Mm. And that's especially what we've seen in terms of as much as Raab and Johnson can be criticised, they voted for the deal more times than almost every Labour MP. Mm. They voted to practically stop no deal. Same with Philip Hammond kind of being attacked as a Remainer. Philip Hammond's voted for Brexit three times. He's voted for a certainty with a deal. Mm. The MPs attacking him now who were very happy to vote against MV1 and MV2 it's very it's very unclear what kind of they've done practically to stop what will be kind of potentially calamitous mm. situations. Mm. Considering you've been like working at the centre of this all and broken some really important stories on Brexit, mm. for example, like, you know, Liam Fox playing to scrap food standards to win the trade, trade deal with Trump. What do you think was the most shocking news story on Brexit in the last few months? Because we've had quite a few. Um, there's a There's a lot there. I think potentially kind of the ferry story and yeah. uh, stuff around kind of no deal and transport. And I think one that's slipped through a net a bit is 
preparing businesses and preparing groups like that. Because one thing that wasn't quite noticed in the reshuffle is that there is now, if I remember correctly, no business minister who was there pre-May, which means you've Mm. got a lot of ministers who are completely new to their department. Mm. They don't have a clue. You've got a lot of uh, advisory groups like Make UK, who I think are in favour of Revoke, the CBI, who are in favour of the deal. There's there's no hard Brexit business group. It's a Mm. it's a contradiction. You you have a lot of those groups who've kind of got a lot more institutional knowledge than their ministers who are in a, a, a lot worse situation. Like the Lib Dems recently did a campaign. I think it was only three out of 10 exporters had the correct tax numbers uh, for exporting across Calais. <laughs> and this is now uh, apparently been rectified, but it kind of speaks to the, the wider issue of just general unpreparedness mm. and... Uh, stuff that you you physically can't prepare for. It's not a matter of you're well. The government aren't doing enough, or private businesses aren't doing enough. It's it's kind of you can't game every strategy and every solution. And the reactiveness of government and the ability for the government to re- be reactive is going to be absolutely crucial if we do have no deal. And I think I was chatting to one Labour advisor who is kind of works around Brexit, and he was telling me a while ago that oh well, I'm I'm prepared for the inquiry. I'm prepared for when the government has to go in front of a select committee or go in front of a big committee and, and say, explain. this is what happens, <laughs> this is why X, Y, Z has happened. So yeah. I think general preparedness and the amount that, also the amount that we have allowed no deal to kind of seem as a feasible solution where yeah. no deal is a a medium state that will then see nothing kind of occur. We will have to yeah. go back and negotiate with the EU if no deal does happen. Mm. And if no deal does happen, there is no way in hell that the negotiating hand will be stronger after it. So there are, there are a lot of things there, but I think the ability for people to be duped into the sense of kind of there is a maximum amount of preparedness. There is a, there is a state of preparation where we are ready for no deal. There will never be a readiness for no deal. There will just mm. be a medium ground, a shade of grey. Yeah. Well, uh, there are many grounds on which you can criticise Theresa May, but one of the uh, ones that hits me the most is the amount of time she spent saying that no deal was better than a bad deal, mm. only then to uh, <laughs> get, getting closer to the end of her reign, obviously switched tack. But she essentially legitimised mm. for the public yeah. the sense that no deal was acceptable that we'd be absolutely fine and we're now in a place where reports are being leaked about how calamitous it will be and we're underprepared and it's it's absurd when you think about it in that sense yeah and i think the obvious issue is that there's a lot of political positioning that's kind of happened and you've had quite a few mps who've previously said like oh we're on board with with brexit we can make this work when it has been beneficial for them in terms of internal party placing or kind of beneficial for them in terms of their constituency. And there was a great piece by Stephen Bush in the New Statesman a while ago that said if every MP just voted for what they actually wanted, we would have had something passed. Mm. But kind of, and it, it's kind of like he he framed it quietly to the credit of MPs like Kate Hoey and against MPs like Gareth Snell of kind of Kate Hoey for lack of any other praise, you can say that she has consistently voted for exactly what she's wanted and has not been inhibited either by yeah, I mean, she's her terrible. voters or a constituency <laughs> party. Uh, well, Gareth Snell has continuously tried to and failed to walk a tightrope mm. where kind of asking for May's deal to be brought back when 
it would have been incredibly helpful for the courses in favour of a deal to actually counter the narratives of uh, Steve Baker and the European Research Group. If you'd said at the time, like, I'm a Labour MP and I really support this deal. There is kind of a lot of people who have have said things that weren't beneficial to their overall cause because it was beneficial for them in a short period. Yeah. Or if a if a certain thing was going to happen, they needed it to happen. I think it speaks overall to the idea of everyone is expecting the other side to compromise. And because of that, the default will happen yeah. and virtually no one wants the default. It's nobody's first choice. Uh, like, in, interestingly, like Cummings has been quite favourable to a deal privately and... Uh, in previous blog posts, if I remember correctly, so it'll be it'll be interesting, kind of when the crooks comes to it. How many of Boris's advisors do a May, or how mm. many people around Boris do a May and go? Actually, we needed a deal. So yeah, yeah, I think we could just be repeating history, which is always a a really fun sense of something <laughs> when you've kind of reported saying, "Oh, they've they've changed their mind again." Oh, this is yeah. again. Yeah. So, well, um, one thing we always ask guests uh and mm. they almost always say we're not going to do this is to predict the future um <laughs> and so it would be good to get your sense on the extent to which you think there will be a general okay. election versus you know a, a government of national mm. unity although i guess the two aren't mutually exclusive no. what's, what's your take on so i've tried to game what i think is most likely at this stage and i'm not i'm not going to predict anything but i'll say kind of where every thing falls down mm. the <laughs> so i'll say say where why everyone else is wrong but i won't say why i'm right um, <laughs> uh, the government of national unity seems entirely dead like if i had to bet at the moment i would say that no deal is the most likely outcome uh i could see a vote of no confidence succeeding if the relevant parties get their act together but that is kind of a big if it would require um kind of independents and ex-Labour MPs to kind of implicitly vote in favour of Corbyn, which is the biggest criticism of the GNU, mm. which is it would have to be, there is no other way apart from it being fronted by specifically Corbyn and Labour as a whole. Mm. Um, not Ken Clark, not... No, no. <laughs> for some reason, I can't see that a, a still pro-Brexit uh, Tory MP would not be voted for by Joe Swinson, the Lib Dems and ultra-Remainers mm. in the Labour Party. It would have to be Corbyn that would chair a GNU because, especially considering half the Labour MPs are currently going through reselection, I would quite like to see a lot of the moderate MPs who have been pretending to be on the left of the party for the past year go to their constituency Labour Party and go, well, do you know how I said that I was really on board with Corbyn? Well, about voting for Hillary Bennon <laughs> to be Prime <laughs> yeah, Minister. Yeah. So uh, to me, that's a complete dead end. Mm. Um if no deal happens, there will be questions about whether a vote of no confidence is the right thing to do. Because if you look at the MPs who are who are wavering on a vote of no confidence on the conservative side, kind mm. of, uh, and the independent side too, people like Ian Austin, Nick Bowles, who are again not against Brexit but are against the specific type of Brexit that looks most likely at this stage. The impact of Perder upon the need for a reactive government is one thing that MPs really do need to consider. Uh, I've put funnily, and then I've put four question marks after it. But funnily enough, even if a vote no confidence does happen, it will exacerbate how bad no deal is, but will undeniably cause the confidence of the government to dwindle in and outside of parliament. Mm -hmm. um, however, if the move the move could demonstrate a lack of confidence um, and will make the issue causing the lack of confidence significantly work over, worse over the short and medium term. Um, 
obviously this is unless a government of national unity can happen, which it won't. Um, so I think general election is most likely and I think it is now the absolutely only feasible way for kind of your campaign to achieve what it wants to. It mm. would need like the work. I think the one thing you've done very well is working internally within Labour to kind of make it a position that cannot be avoided, especially by working within the Parliamentary Labour Party, kind mm. of a group with so little capital within the Labour movement at the moment to kind of go, this is a red line. Um, so I think kind of the only way your campaign can succeed is now via a Labour government or kind of via a, uh, a short-term unity government that I think would only be able to occur after an election mm. specifically because I think there needs to be a specific vote for a majority of pro-EU MPs or pro-EU parties for that to occur. Um, but overall, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows. Um, I think the ability to predict politics has gone so badly wrong. I remember being <laughs> yeah. with two kind of chatting to two very senior journalists at the time of the Tory leadership election, both of whom were telling me absolutely confidently that Matt Hancock was going to win. So um, <laughs> we'll, I, I will hesitate from making a prediction, but I think there's kind of multiple reasons why alternative things will fall down. Great. <laughs> And uh, finally, you mentioned a bit there, but we're genuinely interested in sort of what your view of both FFS and the People's Vote campaign has been over the last year or so. What do you think has worked and what hasn't worked, in your opinion? So kind of to expand on my earlier thoughts, kind of what has worked is kind of lobbying within the Labour Party and kind of being that uh, at times kind of critical, but kind of critical friend and saying like, we are fine to back Corbyn. There are loads of people now around the shadow cabinet who are openly saying, like John McDonnell had an interview this morning saying that he'd mm. campaigned for Remain. Yeah. I don't think anyone would have seen that kind of in 2015, like mm. John, John McDonnell waving the 27-starred flag. Um, <laughs> but uh, kind of the ability to campaign within Labour and make it so that a people's vote is unavoidable if, a Labour government does get in is something that's been incredibly strong. But what I would say is kind of a weakness. And I think it is counterintuitive to the nature of a campaign, campaigning for a specific thing, but kind of the inability to compromise. I think one of the worst uh, moves by the campaign kind of was during the EAF, the vote, where kind of it was quite explicitly obvious that... Uh, in the indicative votes that kind of pro-EU MPs had been whipped to vote against EAF because while very beneficial to the narrative mm. of the people's vote of going, it's the most popular option apart from May's deal. It did also mean that the, <laughs> the most popular option was a referendum, which was had been at, ruled out so many times by Theresa May and then her withdrawal agreement, which kind of led to her continuously trying to sell the deal to Labour, which led to her being no confidence, obviously. Uh, kind of hindsight is twenty twenty, mm. but I think the inability of all MPs, and I do kind of mean all MPs from your uh, Schengen would be great for the UK to kind of, I don't see the problem of not having insulin, like the inability for anyone <laughs> to make kind of a political coalition that exists yeah. over 320 MPs has been a real indictment over the political system mm. over the past three years. Mm. That is very interesting. And it's a, uh... I guess a, a tension at the heart of Brexit, right? Is there a softer middle ground mm. form of Brexit that is acceptable or is it you're in or you're out? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And uh, I guess we're very much in the, we want to be in. (laughs) (laughs) So so, to the extent that we haven't compromised, you're you're probably right on that front. um, Really interesting. Thank you for joining us. And I'm I'm sure it's going to be a busy few months for journalists and campaigners alike. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And more 6.30 meetings, I think. holiday for the next month, (laughs) no? (laughs) Great. So thanks once again to Ben and thank you to you for listening to our little podcast once again. Make sure to tell your friends and join us again next week for more insight on the Brexit chaos. Goodbye. Goodbye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.